Welcome to the Creeperama Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm James. And I'm Justin. And in tonight's episode, we analyze the massive cultural impact and making of one of the most notorious films of all time, The Texas Fucking Chainsaw Massacre. We also dig into the insanity behind how they actually made the film, which involves the usual chain of events, mob ties, public shootouts, nun murder, vanishing weed harvests, betrayal, bad smells, and drug brownies, psychotic family doctors who carve up cadavers' faces for Halloween masks, you know, your typical bland Hollywood bullshit. Wait, did you just say nun murder? Yep, I sure did. That's so fucking heavy. Is that band name taken? It sure as fuck is now. Creatures from the world of the undead. The most bizarre. Devil worship. Satanism, black magic, or witchcraft. Zodiac killers. All lights go out and the monsters are released from their coffins. Now, prepare yourself for the most gruesome and grotesque experience of them all. The voiceover is John Larroquette of Night Court fame. I remember reading that a while ago, but I I had I, that's bonkers to me. Yeah, so Hooper asked his friends only one question about Larroquette. Can he do an imitation of Orson Welles, which I, I'm going to go ahead and say he can't. No. <laughs> but Hooper was too naive at the time to know that an unemployed actor will claim he can do anything. Hooper hired him, and the famous opening crawl was recorded in a 15-minute voiceover session. That tidbit and many others throughout this podcast, thanks to Joe Bob Briggs, the man, the legend himself, who was nice enough to email me a copy of his 69-page all-inclusive article about Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, just because I asked him. When did he write that? 2000, I believe. Wow. Yeah, I believe it's 2000. That's awesome. Yeah, it is It is in-depth. So John Larroquette. Yeah, uh, I, crazy. I know that he did the, um, the voiceover in the remake and in the beginning. Oh, he did the remake too. I didn't yeah. that I didn't know. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, we're we're gonna touch, we're gonna do an episode for every Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Whether we like it or not. Hopefully I make uh, it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's gonna be a rough one. Um there's a couple in there that are whew, brutal. Yeah. But not next generation. No, next generation is, is incredible, and I will die on that hill. That's the hill <laughs> that I chose to die on. My notes are in chronological order to the movie because I got stoned last night and watched it. <laughs> and that's how I take notes. And I sat in my chair and watched it at one in the afternoon when it was all sunny and nice out. <laughs> <laughs> we had two completely different viewing experiences. Very different, very different. But I would like to say that getting stoned and watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre is both the best and worst idea. It is truly fucking terrifying yeah I, I you know i've watched this movie so many times over the years or the decades at this point and it's one of the only films i think that i've ever watched where you can watch it while you're in a group of friends and it have a completely different vibe than when you're watching it by yourself you could put yeah. it on in the background and it's just a ridiculous over the top almost comical if you're a bit fucked up film where it's just, oh, yeah, there's that crazy weird giant with a chainsaw. It's not that scary. It's whatever. You could watch it in 
a theater like we did a couple years ago yeah, uh, for Halloween. It's a completely different viewing experience. But yeah, whenever, absolutely. But whenever you sit down to watch this movie with the intention of just watching the movie and paying attention to it, it's one of the most terrifying things I think anybody has ever put on film. Absolutely. And one of the... Like it, it hadn't hit me until I watched it today. One of the reasons why I think this movie, like especially once it hits the climax of the movie, whenever they're at the house or Sally is at the house, grandpa comes down, it's the dinner table scene and all of that. One of the key things about that whole segment is after Franklin dies, it's just Sally. Yeah. There's no hero. There's nobody who fights back. But in most slasher films, there's somebody who fights back. There's a, either a group of people, maybe one or two people. There's people who fight back. But yeah. one of the things that makes this so horrific is nobody fights back. She tries to escape. She tries to get away. But when you're sitting there watching it, you are, as a viewer, you're locked in to where Sally's position is, her point of view, her perspective. Because you're fucked yeah and here's the th i would i would i don't know if i would completely agree that she doesn't fight back i don't think she's able to fight back exactly because, i guess that's what yeah that that's the whole point yeah you can't do anything yeah because you're sally who is a badass completely by the way. She, she, she escapes twice yeah i mean she jumps through two fucking she windows jumps out of a second story window leatherface don't even touch that yeah, he's like, you. there's literally a shot where he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to take the stairs. Yeah, he's like, fuck this shit. Uh-uh. <laughs> and she gets away. You know, for some fucking reason, I was thinking about Wrong Turn while I watched this. Probably just because <laughs> a bunch of crazy, weird family people uh, who want to kill everybody. But in that film, you had the guy and the girl that were fighting back. They had weapons. They, they blew everything up. Yeah. A lot of the Friday the 13th. Yeah, they're actively trying to kill exactly. Jason. Yeah, Every fucking Halloween film. I mean, motherfucker gets shot down in part four by an entire police squad. Hold on. Not a police squad. A bunch of rednecks. And a police squad. Isn't that the same thing? Right. <laughs> Might as well be. But in this film, you've got shit. You've got nothing. You're fucked. Yeah. And that's, that's different. That makes it a yeah. completely different film. And the movie is set up to where... There's no music, so it just enhances the fact that there's nothing. Yeah, it's all ambient. There's no... You are fucking alone. Yeah, it's all ambient noise and sound effects. There's two songs in it, actually, and they're both diegetic or diegetic. I don't know how to pronounce it. I've only seen it written, uh, which means that they come from within the world that is being filmed, and they're both those weird oh, like country songs. Clearly just recorded them in like Hooper's bedroom Probably. or something. And also, like, every aspect of this movie is there to fuck with you. Oh, yeah, you. completely. Because you're like, where is this weird music even? What? Yeah. And then once they leave the van, <laughs> it's just fucking noises. It's a generator running. It's a chicken screaming. It's a pig squealing. It's brush being stepped on. Right. It's a fucking chainsaw. A couple years ago, whenever we saw this film in theaters, that was the first time that the sound design for this film really stood out to me because I could actually hear it on oh, a yeah. system. The first time it stood out for me was the first time I got high and watched it and was like, <laughs> there's no sound. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, fuck that. No, it was not a fun, fun experience, which made it a fun experience, I guess. I think my new favorite highlight from this film is when Grandpa sucks on Sally's fingers. I mean, what the fuck?
Yeah, it is. It's a weird direction, Cooper. <laughs> <laughs> you know that was an 18-year-old kid? That was Kim Henkel's nephew. He was in uh, Next Generation. I think he played a cop in Next Generation. Was he really? Yeah. Um, and I know he was oh, wow. in, I want to say, one of the newer ones. But yeah, when when he's sucking on her finger, here's a good question. Do you think that they were consciously aware of how fucked up these ideas were? Or do you think that they were just riffing in the moment of being like, yeah, suck her finger? Based on this article, Hooper and Henkel were definitely aware. Okay. I do not think that the rest of the cast <laughs> had a fucking clue as to what was going on. And I think that was by design by Hooper because he wanted them to be uncomfortable, which there you succeed. Is not the greatest thing. It but it succeeds because everybody in this movie looks like they are having the worst day of their completely. lives. I don't mean to sound mean. But I fucking hate Franklin. I literally have two times in my notes that are Franklin is the worst character. 20 minutes later, I'm like, holy fuck, I hate Franklin. However, then I went and read the article, and that was his goal as the character. Oh, gotcha. He read it and was like, oh, I, okay. And then he just really doubled down on it. But he didn't realize that he didn't have to be method. <laughs> so the entire cast hated him because he didn't break character. Yeah, I've read he that He was before. constantly an annoying asshole. However, he is the only one who was like, yo, we need to get the fuck up out of here. Yeah, that's the other thing is that right after I was like, I fucking hate Franklin, he said most of the stuff that was like, oh, wait, he's actually the most logical out of all of them. Yeah. Where he's like, we shouldn't pick him up. <laughs> and, and also, we should go. Yeah. And then Sally's like, oh, I'm going to go run off with the, with the flashlight. And he's like, no, we should leave. Yeah, fuck this. I get it. Don't leave your friends behind, but also maybe leave your friends behind. Ironically, that's as soon as I step foot into Texas throughout the multiple times that we have toured through Texas in vans and in cars. The second I see you have now entered Texas, I want to leave too. <laughs> no offense to any Texans that are listening to this. However, God damn. You know. Uh, yeah, y'all fucking know. You understand. You can't live in Texas and not <laughs> you know. You know what man. you did. Yeah. There's a reason you don't mess with yeah, Texas. It's fucking terrifying. So I want to touch on the beginning of this movie. First off, the fact that apparently a lot of people walked out of the movie before a character even appeared because that's how terrifying those fucking opening credits are. <laughs> Holy shit, I didn't know that. Yeah. Two minutes in and they were like, nope, can't do it. This was the 70s, yeah. so I, I understand. When I was getting the audio for the intro... I mm -hmm. pulled it from a clip that had the rest of the broadcast, like the, the radio broadcast that they're listening to. And mm -hmm. that, of course, incorporates the sound effect of the hitchhiker digging up the bodies to make the sculpture at the beginning. It's interesting that you bring that up because I was actually, that was actually what I was going towards was who made the corpse art? Was it the hitchhiker or was it Leatherface? No, it was definitely the hitchhiker because at the end, old guy says something like, I told you not to mess with that graveyard. You almost got us caught. Yeah. Oh, I somehow never caught that. Huh. Because I had the exact same question of like, who the fuck built this badass thing at the beginning of this? That sucks. I, I really, you know what? I'm I'm glad that I know now, but I'm also kind of bummed because I just had this great image in my head of Leatherface just being like, -da 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 -da, <laughs> playing with the corpses. Oh, look, it's Leatherface is back home trying his damnedest to keep his house clean. And these kids keep fucking it up. 
Like this time when I watched it, whenever he kills one of the other fucking guys and she starts moving around in his, in the ice box and he pulls it open and slams her back in. And then he's like, I've fucking had it. And then he goes over to the window <laughs> and he stares out and he has an existential like meltdown for a moment. And he sits down at his chair and he holds his head in his hands. And he's like, these fucking kids, I just wanted to clean my house today. What the fuck are they doing? I felt for him. You think he's just going around the house like, who the fuck tied all these fucking chicken bones to the ceiling? What the fuck is yeah. going on? And it, you know, this is bullshit. When you look at the first time that you see Leatherface, which is a horrifying, completely fucked up scene because he's just like, hey, how's it going? Bam! And then he shuts the door. You're like, what the fuck is this? And I'm sure he is also at the same time like, what the fuck is this? What are you doing in my house? Yeah. I would be. As I was watching it, one of the notes I took was these nosy ass entitled as fuck kids kind of called it on themselves. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking teeth falling out of the door, but your first instinct is to straight up go inside a complete stranger's house. You earned that hammer. But that Joe Bob made a really good point that in the 70s, apparently in Texas, it was commonplace to just walk into people's houses. This movie is what stopped that. Really? That's what he claims. What the fuck was wrong with Texans back in the day? I don't know, dude, but my dad was from West Virginia, and he like he believed in keeping the door unlocked. Yeah, I guess a lot of people did. I guess it was just that country fucking, like, fuck it, man, everybody's a neighbor. Yeah, that's I, very strange. Personally, if you walk in my house, I'm going to dress up like Leatherface <laughs> and chase you. Yeah. Another weird thing that I noticed about this movie was when Sally runs back to the gas station. When she runs in and old guy... That's that's Jim Seedow, by the way. So when she runs in and she's talking to him, oh, well, she's freaking out to him, and, you know, then he, you know, switches and turns and she realizes that he's going to try and kill her. There's something weird when people in films try to beat you up with common household items. It's silly. Right, it's it's yeah. very silly, obviously, and comical. But when you're watching it in this film, it's not. It's no. very, it almost adds to the level of insanity and in, in terrifying elements of the film because he's trying to beat you up with a broom. But the way he's doing it, it it's not fucking normal. Well, he breaks the fucking broom yeah. over, first off. It just adds to the whole element of how fucking crazy these people are. Yeah. So another thing that I didn't realize is that he's their brother. Say what? He is Hitchhiker and Leatherface's brother. Whoa. Yeah, I hadn't. I never yeah. put that together. Honestly, I always kind of assumed, I mean, I know that they're supposed to be a family and all that shit, but also I could completely see them not being related at all. Yeah, I think that it's the beauty of it is that, I mean, we have the benefit of looking back on it after how many fucking right. years now and like having all this information. But yeah, the first time I watched it, I had no idea what was going on really. Oh yeah. I didn't know if they were related. I didn't know if he was their dad, if you know, Leatherface was just some dude that they found or also he breaks a broom over her and puts her in a fucking burlap sack. And then he's just jabbing yeah, at her. But he's doing it like he the way he's he switches back and forth between um no, it's okay. Just be calm. Don't worry. You don't need to do that. To and he's and he's poking her and he's, and he's shut up, shut yeah. up. It's just what the. It fuck? seems unnecessary. She's already being kidnapped to be fucking eaten. Just chill. <laughs> yeah. Here's an idea. What the fuck happened to the truck driver at the end? 
Where did he go? Because <laughs> I think he's in a, I think he's in Chile now, <laughs> right? See, we, I never bothered to notice that the truck that pulls up that she jumps in the back of the truck is facing one way, right? The truck pulls up and does a U-turn, so it drives back the way it was coming. So <laughs> Leatherface is just standing outside of this truck. Truck driver guy right. runs the opposite direction. Meaning he has to turn around and run back towards Leatherface to get back to his truck. What the fuck does he do? That's the sequel that I want to see. <laughs> it's just, it's picks up immediately at the end, yeah. and it's just the driver of the Black Mariah just trying to run yeah. from fucking and he's Leatherface. Pissed. Like where where the fuck do you go? I fucking stop for this. Here's my question though: Is why was there a semi truck on that dirt road? No, it's it's a paved road. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, it's a paved road. But also, why didn't, like, I mean, I could nitpick little things, and I don't want to do that <laughs> just because I love this movie. No, 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 because this movie is perfect. Yeah. It's, its flaws are what makes it perfect. I mean, yeah, yeah, the flaw of getting back out of the fucking cab whenever you get in the fucking truck, that's a pretty big flaw. Just drive away. Hey, At least he tried. No, no. He shut the door and immediately jumped out <laughs> the other side. He's like, this motherfucker is trying to saw my truck door. I got to get out of here instead of just, I should start the car and just go. Maybe it was a rental. You know he owns that cab. Uh, he might may not. Maybe it was a rental. Maybe maybe he was like, oh, I got to get my deposit back on this oh, shit. He's not going to get it now. He's got to run however no. many fucking miles back to Ohio <laughs> to get the shit. But, I mean, he's fucked. However, <laughs> if he did stay in the cab, then there wouldn't have, we wouldn't get her jumping in the back of the car and driving away off into the sunset. Just one of the most amazingly iconic shots of a girl covered in blood ever. Oh, completely. It's horrifying. And that's the victory. I wonder how much money she had to spend in therapy after this. Not the actress, Sally, because she's fucked. Oh, the actual, actual yeah, Sally. Yeah, Sally, because she's fucked. There's no going back from that. None. Yeah, that's a good point. The damage is done. Where do you go from that? I mean, in my head, she gets a shotgun and she goes and hunts him down, but that's just see, That's me. the second. Uh, that's that's another sequel that I want to see. A, that's another great sequel. Yeah, why the fuck didn't they do that? Well, I, I actually have an answer for oh. that. <laughs> it kind of it requires us to talk about the mafia stuff, though. I mean, of course, but how the fuck does a mafia fall into this? Are they from Texas? No, they're from New York. Ah, fuck. So, what are you doing, Danny? What the fuck is on your face? <laughs> you motherfuckers got some fucking chainsaws what and shit. What the fuck? Uh, Johnny, what the fuck is this dude doing? He's got a fucking chainsaw over here, and he's wearing people's faces. I don't sign up for this. So, I'm sure you have kind of an idea that this movie was absolutely hated when they started trying to shop oh, sure. it. Like, no one would touch it. There was one big company that was about to do it, and then their board of directors is like, go fuck yourselves, <laughs> what are you thinking? <laughs> so, they ended up going with Bryanston, hmm. mm -hmm. the, uh, the company that put out Deep Throat. That makes sense. Bryanston was owned by the Mafia. Specifically... The Perino brothers, also known as the Piranha brothers, <laughs> part of the Colombo crime family, oh, which leads us to the fact that we have no idea how successful this movie actually was. Oh, they took all the money. And apparently they sucked at it. Oh, so they were a bad gang. Uh, they were, I don't know if they were bad at being a mafia. They were bad at being movie people. Okay, okay. <laughs> Point well made. So 
in its first four days in Texas alone, the film grossed $602,000. And that's in 1970 money. In 1970 money. And it only cost 60 grand to make. Holy shit. Which some of the cast would definitely say that it was quite obvious that it only right. took $60,000 to make. Extrapolating from that, a national release would have earned anywhere from $5 million to $10 million in its opening week. So, Bryanston, because they were mafia, I guess, somehow that made them really good at fucking with people? Yeah, yeah. What else are they going to do? They're mafia. They realized how angry people became when the film was praised by intellectuals. Bryanston further stoked the fires by making a gift of a perfect print of Chainsaw to the film collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. <laughs> what? The gift was hardly noticed at the time, but when MoMA started turning up in Bryanston's advertisements, quote-unquote, part of the permanent collection of the Museum of Modern Art, Reporters called the museum, where a spokesman confirmed that, yes, the film had recently been cataloged. What the fuck? So at some point, because of all this craziness, the people involved in making the actual movie weren't getting money. Because obviously, it's the mafia. Yeah, the mafia is not going to give you your money. Yeah, no. They were very shady about it. I wonder why. So at some point, there was a legitimate court case that was against Bryanston. But it turns out... (laughs) That Bryanston was dead broke, not from mob stuff, just because they sucked at picking the movies to back. Of course. TCM was just a complete fluke. By 1976, the Piranha Brothers had just straight up disappeared. Nobody knows what happened to them? In January 1982, Joseph Perino Sr. and Joseph Perino Jr. were chased through the streets of Brooklyn by two gunmen who emptied a series of shotgun blasts into both men as they crossed the patio of Veronica Zurao, a 53-year-old former nun and social worker. The bullets killed Joe Jr. and the ex-nun. Joe Sr. was only slightly injured and told police from his hospital bed that he had no idea who the men were and he could think of no reason why someone would shoot at him or his son. Imagine escaping the nunnery. Imagine escaping the, <laughs> escaping that shit. You finally freed yourself from the clutches of God and you've gone through and you're living your life. You're doing your thing now and you get shot. That's how you fucking go out. Maybe that's maybe that's proof of God. Maybe that's God saying you abandoned me. So, in 1993, a Colombo family soldier named Salvatore Michiato, Michiata, sorry, I'm not Italian. I don't think he's going to care. Turns I, <laughs> I hope not. I, I, I fucking hope he, not. Yeah, I fucking hope not cuz he's he's apparently a bad dude. Uh turns to I mean he's a great dude. He's yeah, a wonderful guy, guy and I have no issues yeah. with him. He's invited great. to whatever uh, family get together we dear, have. Dear Salvatore, uh, we're best friends yeah, now. We Thank support you. you. Thank you for all, all that you've done, I guess. I don't know really what you did, and I, I definitely don't know what you did. <laughs> don't fucking kill us. He turned state's evidence before entering the federal witness protection program. He revealed that the gunmen were himself and Vincent G- Oh, I guess we do know kind of what he did. And Vincent Jimmy. How did, How is your name Vincent and your your name your nickname is Jimmy? Jimmy Angelino. That's a good name. That's a good one. That's why. Somebody was just like, your last name is Angelino? Jimmy Angelino. Uh, my name yeah, is Vincent. my name is Vincent. I don't want to go by Jimmy. Yeah, we already got a Vinny. He's over yeah, there. Yeah, you're yeah. Jimmy. You're Jimmy now. And that the hit was approved by the head of the family, Carmine the Snake Persico. Ooh. The reason for the hit, a family dispute over movie profits. Oh, shit. However, 
that's the end of the information about the mafia. Oh, so I don't know. I'm assuming that it probably had to do with Texas Chainsaw. Oh, I would imagine. So that's just the intro as to why it took so long for a sequel to come out. Oh. There's a little bit more, actually. So, after all that shit, Bryanston is out of the picture. The cast and crew didn't get any money, right. essentially. And they were like, what the fuck? Now, we're definitely not going to get into all that because it's a clusterfuck. At one point, producer Robert Kuhn was actually suing himself. <laughs> How do you do that? How the fuck do you do that? I don't know. I read it, and I still don't understand it. I suck with legality shit. It's It was ridiculous. It was just a list of names and like <laughs> what they were suing for. And I was like, this is too much for me. I think it was too much for Robert. I do too. Yeah, fuck it. You know what? I'm <laughs> tired <myself>. of me. <laughs> I can't believe the things I've done. I'm taking myself to court. You can't stop me. Maybe the judge was the guy from Night Court. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, so finally all that shit kind of like leveled out, but it took 12 years and that's why it took so long for two to come out. However, I kind of feel, and we're going to, we'll, we'll cover two in depth, but I kind of think it helped. Yeah. In a way, I think it made for a more interesting movie than maybe it would have been if it had come out, that's a hot take. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people yeah. who disagree with me on that. But I think that two, in the in the scheme of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, two's, pre- two's yeah, pretty good. sequels go, <laughs> two is solid. Yeah, it's got Dennis Hopper. Go I wouldn't say that you oh, can't yeah, you go fucking wrong. Can. You could definitely fucking go wrong with 80s Hopper. So much cocaine. Going back to the amount of money that this movie made, obviously people loved it. Not at first, but eventually. Definitely. I guess that kind of goes to what I was going to ask. Why do you think that this film is so attractive to people back in the 70s when nothing like this has happened, when it is so fucked up? Because when you compare this to Exorcist, which is in the same time period. Yeah, that's actually, I was going to say, like, I think it's the same thing as Exorcist. But this is far more fucked up than The Exorcist. So after reading this article, Joe Bob makes it very, very clear that it, see, that's the thing is that he makes it clear that, like, this movie was hated, but I'm not sure exactly who hated it. Because critics absolutely fucking hated it. There was, like, a couple that Mm -hmm. said good things about it, and even that was probably backhanded. But also, I do think that the fact that it was so ridiculous and so fucking terrifying that no one had experienced anything like that, so I think it made it a perfect movie for the drive-in and exploitation crowd. I'm assuming is who made, you know, all that money. Obviously, it was very successful in, in... Four days in 1970 for a fucking drive-in movie to make $600,000. Yeah, it's just a strange, whenever you look at films like this, and even today, there's so much censorship surrounding violence. And even though our world today is much, as far as art goes, it is much more fucking violent than it was back then. As far as what you can view in public on, on the internet or on television, uh, the, the bar is, has adjusted dramatically since then but obviously back then people still had a lust for watching violence yeah i hate to keep saying this but i also kind of have information on <laughs> no that. that's fine yeah uh he literally would call the mpaa constantly while making the movie and would be like look i know that you can't actually tell me what you would make this movie and they'd be like mm-hmm and he'd be like but if i wanted to impale a girl on a meat hook what? <laughs> as you do as you do 
and there's just silence. And he's like, I guess it would be better if I didn't show the penetration. And they were like, yeah, that would, that would probably help. And he was like, if there was no blood, that would probably help too. And they were like, yeah, you'd, you'd probably be right. And he would do this for pretty much everything to the point where when he finally put it to the MPAA, it just sailed through. But the other thing is that it was still a few years before the MPAA got more serious about violence. So I think that definitely helped. But also, like, there's no gore in it. There's no gore. There's barely any blood. Like, you don't see Franklin get eviscerated. You don't see her getting yeah. a fucking hook in her back. You don't. You see him get hit in the head, but nothing really happens. He just falls on the ground. I think that's a testament to how well you can create an environment on film and have that trans and have that translate to an audience. It, it's Absolutely. all vibe. It's all vibe and sound design. Yeah, it's yeah. all vibe. Yeah. It's still interesting to me of when I look back at films, obviously you're going to have people who protest movies like this who are likely Christian, middle America, middle class, upper class people who just fucking don't understand it, and that's fine. Yeah. But to look at it in a time capsule of the 1970s and to see something that whenever you watch it today is still just as fucked up as it was back then. There's It is hard to yeah. find another movie that... Now, I know that there's other films that have better special effects that are disturbing, all of these things, but it's still hard-pressed to find another film that is that can rival this. Yeah, Texas Chainsaw Massacre stands alone. When you think about the cultural impact of this film, there's only a couple horror films throughout the history that have really changed shit. And that whenever you can look back in time to go and pinpoint a moment in history of when cinema changes, and this is obviously one of them. And like I said earlier, that entire third act, the, the tone of the film literally changes. It's a different movie. Yeah. I noticed this time watching it that it's scary and people die, but as soon as he fucking chainsaws Franklin, it's on. And it's not music, it's like noise right. and electronic crazy shit, but that's when it really kicks in, and it doesn't really let up for the rest of the movie. Yeah, because everybody else dies so fast. Yeah. And and, and it's very, it doesn't linger very, very quick, which is good because something happens so fast, you know, bam, guy gets hit on the side of the head, he gets dragged off into a hallway, door shuts, and then onto the next scene, and you're left sitting there going, what the fuck? fuck was that yeah the whole movie was designed to constantly keep you off balance now that i'm thinking about the remake and and films that followed after it they showed too much it lets you sit with something too much and if you do it the right way then it works but if you do it too much there's a weird line that whenever you're viewing things like this and you're viewing things that are uncomfortable there's a certain line where after you go past it if you sit with it long enough it stops being scary it stops being weird it just the vibe wears away. Yeah, it becomes hokey. And I, I think that's a I think that's a huge problem with two. Three has its own problems all unto itself. But I think that that's why two isn't really scary. Also, apparently the dude that they brought on to make two wanted to make a satire of horror films to a certain degree, which is why it's kind of Scooby Dooish. Because it was twelve years later and no one cared anymore. That's honestly the explanation I saw. That makes sense. Yeah, sadly. Also, can we talk about, because you, you mentioned him getting hit in the head, which we can mention that constantly. Um, the Red Room is one of my favorite visuals in horror. 
Oh, just yeah. that red wall of just mm-hmm. it's just bright red covered in fucking animal skulls. Yeah. I've seen literally just pictures of that and been like, oh, it's Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, of course. It's iconic. When you look back at films in the 70s, like they're like Cannibal Holocaust and a bunch of other ones. And I'm not saying that they in Texas Chainsaw murdered animals, but it's so weird that everybody's go to back in the 70s was, well, we got to gross everybody out. So let's just fill it with dead animal shit. And that caused people to go completely nuts. Which is crazy because I think that now we have a much more empathetic towards animals view on on things in this yeah. country. Like back then it was so much more like, yeah, beef is everywhere. Beef is what's for dinner, blah, blah, blah. Right. But I mean, yeah, it, it worked. I don't know if it worked in the ways that I would want to make a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> like Cannibal, the animal cruelty stuff just doesn't do anything for me. It, no. It, it no. upsets the fuck out of me, but it doesn't, it's not entertaining. No, no. It's just, like, cool. Yeah. But it's so strange that that's the time period where they, you know, hey, this is going to get them. This is going to yeah. make them. This is going to scare them. Well, I think it's because they couldn't actually kill a person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good I point. think that if Diodato could have killed a person and gotten away with it, he probably he would. probably fucking would. That guy kind of seems like a dick. <laughs> kind of, yeah, yeah, majorly. I wonder if he did any research as far as anything into Ed Gein. Yes, absolutely. Interestingly enough, not only Ed Gein, but Kim Henkel was also, I don't know how this really entirely plays into the movie, but he was obsessed with the Dean Coral case because that was from Houston. So I th- I have a feeling that it probably correlates because Dean Coral had like assistants mm-hmm. that were like teenage kids that would bring him victims. So I think that that's kind of where the hitchhiker comes from. Oh, that makes sense. Also, the Leatherface mask is one of the best fucking masks in all of horror. It's just fucked. I didn't know this. This is from Hooper. The idea actually came from our family doctor, Dr. Martin. I remembered that he'd once told me this story about how when he was a pre-med student, the class was studying cadavers, and he went into the morgue and skinned a cadaver and made a mask for Halloween. We decided Leatherface would have a different human skin mask to fit each of his moods. Yo, hold on, what? Yes, you fucking heard that correctly. What the fuck? And wore its actual face for Halloween. How is that not a crime? What a fucking hero. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck? Honestly, the balls on this guy, what? Yeah. There's something wrong with this guy. How is he still allowed to practice medicine? I mean, I know a lot of doctors have done some weird shit, but how is that not more widely known? Here's the other interesting doctor fact. An Austin plastic surgeon, Dr. Walter Burns, was brought in to design the human skin mask and special effects makeup, and his messy concoctions stuck to the skin and increased the general level of misery on the set, which we'll get to that in a second, because... This sounds like the absolute worst oh, yeah. movie set that I've ever heard of. But yeah, so a doctor did all the special effects. No wonder it's good. See, that's the weird thing, though. I wouldn't think that it would be. Uh, yeah, I could understand that. However... I guess it, it kind of makes sense now that I think about it, because it was the 70s, so there wasn't really gore yeah. effects yet. Yeah, not yet. So there probably weren't a whole bunch of special effects artists around. Yeah, and also, I've never been confronted with somebody who's wearing somebody else's face. 
But I have been confronted by somebody wearing a mask. You don't go to Dr. Martin, apparently. Apparently not. I need I need to make an appointment. I'm willing to bet the person wearing the face is going to scare me a hell of a lot more than the mask. So it's simple. It's not as crazy as you see effects today, but it's way more terrifying and likely because it's lifelike. Fucking Dr. Martin. I can't get over this guy. I want to know if he ever got caught doing anything else because obviously Dr. Martin has some fucking issues. I, yeah, that's the thing. We don't know his first name. Dr. Martin's pretty... Uh... That's a fake name. <laughs> that's a fake name. Dr. Martin. But for real, you're fucked up. You're completely insane if you're going to go take the face off of a dead body and wear it for Halloween. This guy has killed people. <laughs> I, I I mean, there's no doubt about it. He's killed people. Yeah, he's fucking killed people. I want to know who he is. I'm going to have to research that. Follow-up episode about Dr. Martin coming soon. I got to make a phone call. <laughs> to who? I <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Why would I make a phone call? We got Google. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the there was like 17 producers on this fucking thing uh one of them was bozeman he was making the rounds of local authorities getting clearances for locations letting the neighbors know what was going on up on quick hill road i was trying to avoid trouble he said and one of the visits i made was to the williamson county sheriff he was an old craggy rural sheriff almost a stereotype and outside his office, there was this evil weed display of drug paraphernalia. I went in and visited with him. Just said, we're here in the neighborhood making a movie. Come on out and see us anytime you'd like. And then one day, I go out on the back porch of that house we're using, and there are about ten garbage cans full of marijuana plants ten feet tall. What? Oh, right. There's, there's backstory to this. The house that they were shooting at had hippies living in it. Oh, yeah, when I was watching this. Today, I found myself thinking, who the fuck owned this house? There was like two or three hippies that just lived in the house, apparently. And apparently, they had a weed grow. <laughs> oh, well, in Texas. Yeah, full of marijuana plants, 10 feet tall. The entire back porch was full of them. The guy living there had obviously harvested his crop recently, and I would invited the sheriff out to see us. So I went and found Bill Parsley, one of the other important people on the movie, and I took him out to show him what I'd found. And Parsley said, is this guy growing sunflowers or something? And I told him, no, this was marijuana. And I thought he was going to faint. <laughs> because at the time in Texas, possession of two ounces of marijuana was two years to life. Holy shit. So we told the house owner, you really have to get this out of here now. And the next day it was gone. That's a long fucking time. Two years to life? Yeah, that's fucking crazy. That's also Texas. That's why you throw your weed paraphernalia out the window when you're driving through Texas. This is not something that I have personally done, because that <laughs> would be incrimination. <laughs> Anyways, so speaking of weed, I have one other thing. First, can we talk about the fact that doors are the natural enemy of the movie industry? That's why Sally's the shit. She jumps out windows. She jumps out windows. See? She's like, fuck a door. But does that mean that she's on the side of the doors? Yeah, fucking hates windows. Fucking hates windows. Hates windows. I, I, I get it, man. I get it. Just, <laughs> just going through life. Just jumping out windows. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.
Like, imagine that visual. <laughs> Your whole entire life, you have never used a door. You only jump, you only abscond from houses by jumping out of windows. You fucking said abscond. Just, yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. I, I, I mean, it's quick. Yeah. Another, there's two things I, I want to interject. One, while I was watching this film earlier, I definitely thought about how terrifying it is to 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 realize that somebody at some point has been on the receiving end of a crazy person chasing them through the woods with a chainsaw. Somebody. I have no idea what that case is. I want to know about it. But I ha- I have no doubt in my mind that that has actually happened. That's one. Yeah, fair. Fair, fair point. Also, thanks for putting that in my head now. Right? And also... There's no doubt in my mind that somebody exits their house through jumping out of a window now. So, specifically that scene where he's sawing the door. Mm-hmm. Everyone on the crew except for Bozeman was high at that time. Of course, it's the 70s. No, actually, not because it was the 70s. Because there was a girl, there was a lady on the cast or crew mm-hmm. who baked weed brownies and didn't oh. tell anyone. Oh, Jesus. Gunner had never been high before. And he's trying to saw through a fucking door? Yeah, with a real chainsaw. And wearing the mask. Oh, he's fucked. He's so lucky. (laughs) Whenever you look back at these types of movies, the reason why it is the way it is is because people were able to persevere through all of that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also very odd why people choose. I mean, I say it's odd, but it's not really odd. It's... it's something that's beyond words. Why people choose to put themselves through hell for art. Even though this art is literally just a crazy bunch of people trying to kill you, it's still art. It's still making something that didn't exist yesterday. But it's, it is it is very... I wonder what... And I've, it's obviously a question people have tried to answer for thousands of years. But why? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? What, yeah. what 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 pushes somebody to such a degree to to suffer to such a point just to make something new? It's awesome. And then on another level even is like how much of it was just perseverance? It was all perseverance on the on the part of the cast for sure and the crew. Yeah. But how much of it was just Hooper being like if I make these people miserable, this is going to be a great movie. Exactly. And yeah, that's a good point. I don't condone treating people like shit ever. Yeah. But it's hard to deny the results. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I immediately think of Shelley Duvall and, and The Shining. Yeah. Well, Kubrick oh, was man. also a dickhead. He was completely I don't think Ho- I don't think Hooper was a dickhead. I think that Hooper just had his own plan going on and no one else knew. Oh, yeah, completely. Kubrick was... You know what? And and I think that we could probably do a whole episode on Kubrick, and we should. He is his movies are legendary, even if he is a complete piece of shit. But I don't know if it's necessary. I think that Shelley Duvall probably could have nailed it just fine. Right. She's an incredible actress. Yeah. And I think he broke her. Yeah. And it's I mean, yeah, the the shining is fucking legendary, but it's not. Yeah. The only thing that really like sets it apart for me is the aesthetic of it. Yeah, exactly. The visuals of it. But, like, the acting and stuff is great, no doubt. But she doesn't even have enough screen time for it to show through. Right. To properly utilize. 
I'm emotionally and mentally destroying this human being for my movie to get a performance. Yeah. The performance that you see in the film does not indicate the level of emotional trauma that the girl has to fucking endure. Yeah. It's awful. So has it occurred to you that Texas Chainsaw Massacre is actually Hansel and Gretel? <laughs> what? Actually, that's genuinely how Hooper and Hankel wrote it. Oh, really? Yeah, they originally built it. They were like, we're going to do a Hansel and Gretel story. And then it's not how it started out. They had that idea, and then he had the chainsaw revelation, and then it all started falling together. But yeah, I guess Chef, or uh, Jim Seedow's character, I guess he would be the witch? I don't know. Who would be the witch? Grandpa. Grandpa? (laughs) Grandpa's the witch. See, that's what nobody realizes, that Grandpa's the star of the story. What is he doing in that attic? He's just gramping it up. He's just gramping it up. What the f- How old is he? Uh, 20. No, no. How old is Grandpa? <laughs> no, that's... <laughs> I have a medical condition. He's got that Benjamin Button shit. <laughs> how long has he been there? You know what? That's one of the few things I don't have an answer for. Let's take guesses. Who? How old do you think he is? Uh, he's got to be pushing 100 at least. Pushing 100? Okay, so... In the realm of Texas Chainsaw Massacre weirdness, I'm going to go he's 146. See, that's too high. There's no way. It's too high? There's no way. What would make sense? He, I think he'd have to be over 100. It'd have to be. I, I'll go 112. Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll push around 110. Okay, all right. Yeah. You know, the the scene where he's trying to whack her upside the head with the with hammer. It's still one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. See, I was going to say it's fucking, like, it makes me feel sick. But that's the thing is, it's both. It's so genius because it's so, like, it's the combination of this guy's trying to kill me but can't. Yeah. Those two things are so antithetical to each other that it's like, yeah. what am I watching? It's honestly the perfect... If you were going to try to explain what Texas Chainsaw Massacre is in one scene, that's it. Because it's both. It's pure terror and, like, realistic terror. But also, it's so ridiculous. I mean, I, th- I think that means that success. I think they yeah, did it right. They They fucking succeeded in making what... At least Hooper did. I don't know if the rest of the people agree that that's what they were trying to make, but (laughs) Hooper definitely succeeded in his part. So to wrap up, I I think that it would be best if we end on this, I guess he's a critic, Stephen Koch, Koch, K-O-C-H, however you would like to pronounce it. I'm just going to say it, Koch, because he's kind of a dick. So here are the words of Stephen Koch. It is a film with literally nothing to recommend it. What does that even mean? Yeah, what does that fucking mean? With literally nothing to recommend it? I don't know. Nothing but a hysterically paced, slapdash, imbecile concoction of cannibalism, voodoo, astrology, sundry hippie-esque cults, and unrelenting sadistic violence, as extreme and hideous as a complete lack of imagination can possibly make it. We are here discussing something close to the absolute degradation of the artistic imagination. Obese, gibbering castrati grasp snarling chainsaws as they chase and kill screaming women. A character paralyzed from the waist down is hacked to pieces. There are self-immolations. No, the fuck there aren't. 
every conceivable impulse through hysterical necrophilia is transposed into disgust. And the only thing I have to say to that sounds good to me. Yo, that's the best fucking review I've ever read. Yeah, I'm into that. I'm into that. Although there's nobody, nobody fucked a dead body in that movie. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure I, they I did. I'm sure they did. I, I, I'm sure somebody fucking did. It's implied necrophilia, for sure. Yeah, but I never, I, I don't remember anybody fucking. Yeah, I don't remember anybody fucking a dead body. I don't remember any self.